All right, let's begin with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege to study your word and to think about who you are as you have revealed yourself. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, you would bless us, enlighten our minds, open our hearts, uh, grant us to worship you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So today uh, is a difficult topic. Um, we're going to talk about the wrath and the jealousy of God. Um, and so let me just read the introduction. We don't like these aspects of God. Um, both wrath and jealousy seem unattractive, unworthy traits of God. But this proves that we are dealing with the true God of the Bible and not a God of our imagination. The true God will contradict your expectations and challenge your preconceptions as any real person would. And then I wrote, all real relationships involve contradiction. And so I think this is very important um, for us to realize that we know we're dealing with the real God and not just some God we made up in our own mind because this God uh, contradicts what we want him to be, right? Uh, we don't want him to be a God of wrath. We don't want him to be a God of jealousy. And uh, the fact that he is tells us that he's real, that we didn't just sort of create him in our mind and sort of, because the God we would create in our mind would be entirely pleasant to us, never contradict us, it would, uh, it would be a, a robot god, an android god, you know, a god that we sort of programmed in to serve our needs, but the real god um, is very different. And in fact, I think this principle holds true to all real relationships, right? Uh, for those of us who are married or who are dating, we know that, you know, if the person just says to us, yes, dear, whatever you want, dear, um, that would be a weird, fake relationship, right, and entirely unpleasant, uh, but the real, re but uh, any real relationship involves, um, you know, uh, the feeling that the other person is not going to please you all the time, right? Uh, let's hand this one to Hannah. Uh, let's put the chair back there because I think that angle is too difficult to see the board. Hey, Tony, let's give uh, Tony a sheet. Let's keep the stack. All right, so uh, any questions on that first point or any comments? Feel free to interject at any point. Um, let's start with first the wrath of God. And uh, there's, like, uh, there's like hundreds of verses that talk about God's anger, God's wrath. Um, but I thought uh, it would be good to just sort of meditate and rest on one passage, which is Nahum chapter 1. And uh, it's a fairly famous passage. It's probably the most extensive or the most um, metaphorically descriptive or rich passage on the wrath of God that we have in the Bible. And so I thought it would be good to just sort of read through it and sort of just like ponder what do these metaphors and imagery tell us about the wrath of God and then we're going to think about what is this wrath, okay? So let me read it for you, Verse starting with verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his, en on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The heavens heave bef before him. Uh, the, the world and all who dwell in it. 
Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he makes a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into into darkness. All right. Uh, So I thought it would be useful to break this down sort of phrase by phrase. Um, The first thing we see there, well, it says jealous. That sort of, it shows you that wrath and jealousy go together. Uh, But we're going to reserve that for the the second part of the lesson. But if you read the second line, it says the Lord is is avenging and wrathful. So, a little, you know, vocabulary test. What does avenging mean? Or what, what does this tell us about God's wrath? What's avenging? What does that mean? You who speak English. It takes vengeance. Vengeance. Without using the same word and just <laughs> adding a suffix. Retribution. Retribution. Okay, what does that mean? Like, he'll, he'll react, in a sense. React, right. React in what way? <sighs> like, like you see a flower. Ah, I react. <laughs> if, if that flower, if the snow was bad, you would take vengeance on the flower by destroying it. I uh, see. So it is, it is reacting because the object acted first, right? right? So avenging is to strike back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's the stir back. It's the stir back. Okay. Um, to uh, another good word is retaliate. Okay. Uh, the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So, what does that tell us about God's wrath? It's kind of basic, but it's good to. Rehearse it for ourselves. What, is it, what, what does that tell us about God's wrath? It's for everybody. No? It's for his friends. It's for his? <coughs> it's for, yeah, it's for those who oppose God, right? <coughs> Um, verse 3 the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and then it says the Lord will by no means clear the guilty what does that tell us about the wrath of God Ashley (laughs) anyone who looks at me I will punish (laughs) by no means clear the guilty what does that tell us about the wrath of God what function does it serve justice yes Right? It's for those who are guilty. Um, and then the, 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 the next few lines is all nature images, but I kind of thought the, the latter half of verse 3 is its own thing. I don't know, maybe it's just me. But it says, His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. What, what imagery is that trying to convey to us about the wrath of God? Whirlwind and storm. Who has been in a storm? Tim, how did you feel when you were in that storm? Or what, 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 what storm was this that you were in? It was a monsoon. 
It was in Taiwan. Okay. I have no idea what a monsoon is like. It's like kind of like a hurricane. Okay. But it's not really a super strong hurricane. Okay, so you were in a baby hurricane. Yeah. How was, how was, what was the experience of being in a baby hurricane like? We thought it was really cool, so we went on the balcony to go watch what was happening, and all of a sudden signs started falling down, yeah. and we thought maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> so it was a terrifying experience, yeah. right? Fearful. Okay, so that's kind of the imagery that I, I interpret from this, that it's a fearful, terrifying experience. And then verse 4, starting with verse 4, these are all nature images. Um, can I have uh, Dan read it for me while I write down nature? Uh, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. Keep going. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Yeah, Bashan, Carmel, Lebanon, it's all describing the same region. It's uh, present-day Lebanon, which uh, is this beautiful forested area. And so all that withers. What are all these nature images trying to tell us about God's wrath? The fact that he could make the sea dry up and dries up all the rivers. Hannah, what does that tell us? What verse did we just read? <laughs> <laughs> um, we are reading uh, verse 4 and 5. How about Priscilla? What, is, what, what do these ima nature images tell us? What does it tell you? Well, I, think, uh, well, I don't know if this is completely on top of Sure, go ahead. God made nature first, and okay. he gave us everything, and then he's like, taking it away again. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know if that's the, <laughs> the, 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 the angle that the, the, the image is telling us. Oh, he has control over creation. Right, so <laughs> I think it's kind of telling us that God's wrath is all-powerful, right? Um, I mean, can you imagine the power to dry up the seas? It's amazing, right? Um, let's keep going. Verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? Okay, another vocabulary word. Indignation. What does that mean? Uh, it can be, but what's like the specific nuance of the word? Indignation. Tim, <laughs> could you give me a wide-eyed look? Uh, contempt. Contempt? Contempt is more like you are initiating it. Maybe indigna uh, indignation is more passive. What does indignation mean? It means to take offense. Yes, very good. It means to take offense. So, so something is offending you, right? It's very close to avenge, but avenge is more like the person, the, the thing struck and you strike back. Indignation is more like you just take offense that the thing itself is somehow insulting, right? Um, um, that something, and, and then here, the, another way to look at this is something precious. Something precious has been violated.
Um, and then, oh, this is good. And then it says in, in the uh, second half, verse 6, his wrath is poured out like fire. All right, what does this imagery tell us? I think there are two aspects to this imagery. But think about the metaphor. Think about what is fire? Hell. Huh? Hell. Yeah, but, I mean, that's just using another imagery. It'd be like everyone's affected by it. It doesn't, like, discriminate. Because, like, when you think of fire, like, it's widespread, like, a forest fire, like, it'll go everywhere and anywhere that it's able to reach. Not really, right? There are trees that survive, and just because you're on fire doesn't mean I'm going to be But, it, like, it won't say, like, oh, this tree I'm going to leave alone because it was, like, a good tree. It provides <laughs> shade to pass my <laughs> this one, like, I'm <laughs> Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thought. I do not think that fire is conveying that aspect of all-encompassing. <laughs> Although you're very close to one of the meanings, I think. What what does fire convey? Like, okay, imagine that you are on fire. It burns and consumes you. Yeah, it's painful, right? So it's painful. It's like a punishment. Like, if you see something on fire, if you see someone on fire, they're not going to be, like, saying, la-di-da. They'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> right? So there'll be, it'll be excruciating pain. Um, but there's another aspect of fire. I think that this is communicating. Judgment. Y- is yeah. <laughs> is it to like, kind of like, like start anew? Because like, when you destroy something, like, it has a chance to recreate. Mm. But let's just stick with the fire. Let's not <laughs> post fire. What, what fire. happens in the fire? Fire is a cleanse. It's gone. Purifying? Purifying? Yeah. But not, I mean, if, if I light you on fire, I'm not purifying you. <laughs> right? Uh, you're getting rid of the bad stuff. <laughs> That's true with metal, right? Yeah. Uh, but we're not metal. We're, That's what you think. <laughs> your watch will be purified, but you will not be purified. You will not be more pure. You will be something else. What, 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 what would happen to you when I light you on fire, if I were to light you on fire? Other than you going, ah, pain. I stop, drop, and roll. What? I stop, drop, and roll. Okay. You would die? Okay. You would die? That's true. All of the flammable stuff would be consumed. Yes. You would be? Like, what would would you look like at the end of that fire? Melted. Charged. Melted? <laughs> We're not on, like, popsicle. Okay. <laughs> what? Skin melt. Yeah, we, well, ashes. we would just be, like, ashes, right? Yeah. So, the fire destroys. You know what I said? <laughs> you said everything. Yeah. Well, I think everything in us. Yeah, you're right. Didn't I say you were close? Didn't I say you were close? It's like, it's like tomato, tomato now. Yeah. Okay. So fire, fire completely destroys you. It completely disintegrates you. There's nothing left of you. All that's left is a tiny pile of ashes. Right. So that's the the the, the imagery that God's the fire of God's wrath is trying to communicate. Um, and then it says in verse 7, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. We're going to return back to that later. later. But it's basically stronghold, refuge. I mean, I love the imagery. It's basically like a, a castle. And this is my castle. So, amidst all this wrath, you're protected if you're in this castle. But let's move on. Um, verse 8, okay. I want, to, I want to pause with each of these phrases because I think it's interesting. Overwhelming flood. Overflowing flood. What is that? Something like an oxymoron. Very overflowing. 
overflowing, right? The flood's over. A flood is already a lot of water. That's yeah, yeah. So it's just you know two words, synonym. Yeah. What? So what is that? What is that imagery telling us? <coughs> Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Like imagine. I don't know if any of us has experienced a flood, right? But it's just this overpowering thing. And then what happens? I think this is where I was delaying David. Um, but no, I'm gonna say it. <laughs> but in a flood, right? There's no like nothing is spared in a flood, right? Everything is consumed. Everything is 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 filled with water. Like a fire. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Fire has that aspect. But isn't it true? Like fire does skip things, right? You, you can do controlled burns, yes, but... Yeah, huh? but you can't do a controlled flood. I mean, you can't say we're going to just flood this table, but this spot will stay dry. The, the flood well, if I set up, like, the walls I could in Japan up. Yes, if there's a fortress, yes. Okay, so, um, so everything is consumed. Everything is, everything is taken out. What about the next line? He will, take a com he will make a complete end of the adversaries. What is that imagery telling us? Don't feel shy if you just feel like you're repeating the statement in other words, in other language. Hannah, you're nodding. Judgment. Huh? Judgment. <laughs> yes, judgment, wrath. Okay. Let me just put the word judgment here so that you don't evoke it again. <laughs> Complete end. I think, again, like fire, it's, it's, it's conveying total ruin, right? And then the most haunting image of all, I think, and he will pursue his enemies into darkness. What does that tell us? He won't give up. So yeah. Just yeah, I mean, imagine, right? Your enemies are running from you, and they run into the darkness. Now, at that point, you're like, so be it. They run, right? I can't pursue them into the darkness. But if you're like, let's pursue them into the darkness, that imagery conveys relentless pursuit. It means that God will never stop. God will never rest. God will keep on going until he finishes the task, right? I think that's a completely haunting image. Um, and so God will relentlessly pursue. Okay. So this is the wrath of God. Um, let's go on to my next point then in the box. We are uncomfortable with the idea of God's wrath, because we imagine God's wrath is like our own. Irritable, self-indulgent, cruel, and short-tempered. Um, I think, like, you know, we, we, we read the passage in Nahum, and we see this imagery that Nahum gives us, and not only is it terrifying, but we imagine, you know, is God just a more powerful us? You know? And he just has a temper tantrum. Or he gets really irritable and grumpy, and is he, is he just lashing out in anger? Um, the way I experience anger and wrath most of the time. I don't, does anyone know what the difference between wrath and anger? Isn't wrath like more extreme anger? Yeah. It's like a like variance in degree. Right? Yeah, it, it's, uh, that's one way to look at it. I mean, wrath is just more like an a awesome word for anger. But I mean, if, if you say, I'm angry, but then you say, I'm wrath. So, <laughs> so there's no difference, by the way. I feel like wrath, you direct it towards... Where your anger is the state where you're wrathful, you're directing it towards someone else. That's and, true. And, I um, guess so. But my point is that don't be tripped up. They're the same words. Synonyms. Yeah. Because I mean, you see the word anger described, describing God as well. But anyways, what was I saying? Oh yes, when I am angry, <laughs> it is not a pretty sight. I'm petty. 
I'm, I'm, I'm uh, self-serving. And maybe we imagine God's wrath to be in that way. Uh, I have three, four responses to that. So my first response is God's wrath is a perfect wrath and part of his morally perfect character. Look again to verse 7. I think it's really interesting in Nahum chapter 1, right, in the passage on the left, down at the bottom. It says in the middle of all this description about God's wrath, it says that the Lord is good. And so his wrath is not opposed to his goodness. It is part of his good character. Um, and let's read, uh, they're not opposed, they're, they're, they go together. And let's read First uh, John 1, 5. Uh, Melissa, can you read it? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's very important to remember. <coughs> God has no aspect of him that we can criticize, that we can say that's an unattractive, that's a morally repugnant aspect of his character. He is pure light. And so his wrath is light. It's good. It's holy. It's perfect. And so I think that our approach shouldn't be God's wrath. God, you need to justify this wrath. Or I don't know, or have a critical stance. I always cite uh, Romans chapter 9. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And so I think it's highly dubious for us to, as we who are sinners, to look at God and say, how dare you? Because we're sinners, but rather we should have a humble approach and try to understand God's wrath. Right? How, how does it make sense in his good character? If we're confused, our response shouldn't be, then I reject it. I don't believe in it. Our response should be, okay, help me to understand. Does that make, does that make sense? All right, let's go on to uh, point number two. Um, so here's how we can understand the wrath of God. It is, it is a good thing to be angry at evil. Um, just a, as a way of illustration, I listened to uh, a This American Life episode recently, and it was on uh, this massacre that occurred in Guatemala about 30 years ago um, at a little village called Dos Eres. And what happened is that these, uh, um, if you guys don't know, Guatemala and all of Latin America had like these civil wars against communist rebels. And so anytime they suspected a village having communist sympathies, they would send in, the, send in these commandos. And what happened at Dos Eres is that the commandos went in, they gathered up all the men of the village, they shot them, and then they gathered up all the women, and then they repeatedly raped all the women. And then they marched all the women and all the children to this well, and then they started throwing the people down into the well. Some of them they killed, but a lot of them they left, uh, they weren't fully killed, and they threw them down in the well. So you imagine you fall, it's like a 40, 50 foot well, and then just people keep piling up, and then they left them like that, and the whole village was killed that way. And then they recently did investigation, and they went for the trial. And, and then, you know, the whole time I was listening to the radio program, I was like, first of all, riveted, right, terrified. But what I felt was anger. And I think that's a proper and right emotion to feel. If you hear about such atrocities and evil, and your response is, eh, <laughs> or your response is, you know, any other emotion other than anger, and there's something evil about you. I mean, isn't the very definition of evil that you don't feel anger in the sight of injustice, right? And so the fact that God is a wrathful God is only right and fitting if God is a good God, if God loves goodness and holiness and, and justice. Is there any question or is there any um, comment or response, feedback? Does anyone want to interact with that idea? Because this whole idea of the wrath of God, people feel very, very uncomfortable. They don't like this aspect. 
Any thoughts? John. Um, you never disappoint. Yes. Uh -huh. yes. Uh, so I just wanted to get an understanding of Raptor God. So, uh, well, question. Uh, when I don't, I don't haven't read the entire Bible, so I was curious. When does God demonstrate His wrath? And uh, why? And when? Then instances that he does. Why does he decide to? To yeah. Wh why does then? he? You know, met, met out his wrath. Yeah, so um, the most, uh, the fullest expression of God's wrath is hell, mm -hmm. the final judgment. Um, but even in this life, their wrath is expressed. So that's why you know, prophets like Nahum talk about it. So that any time a city is destroyed in the Old Testament, it's an expression of God's wrath. But all of that is like a preview of the final wrath. The final wrath is when God completely unfurls, unleashes his righteous anger at evil. And who, and who deserves it? Everyone who's evil. So, you're, so if I understand his wrath is direct, it strikes back, it's directed towards his adversaries, people who oppose him. And um, those are all the characteristics of what his wrath would be. Yes. So, um, I guess uh, when I think of adversary, yeah. I feel that it's someone equal enough that would be able to cause me harm. Mm -hmm. is how I imagine an adversary. Mm -hmm. So I'm imagining if if God is all powerful, yeah. then what? Then who would He actually consider um, big enough to like so that He considers them His adversary? Yeah. I don't think it's necessary that your adversary has to be your equal. Because, like, we're like ants, and mm -hmm. God is like a person. So, mm -hmm. like, an ant could be really irritating. Sure. It's, kind of, it's, it's, kind, of like, it's kind of like a little three-year-old kid comes up to you and says, Hey, I'm your enemy. I'm going to take you down. Yeah. You, being over 20, year old, 20 years old, right, you would not say, Really? And then you just... <laughs> right? I mean, people, we, we would all look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you picking on that three-year-old, right? And so, do we have that conception of God, right? We are a three-year-old, and we're looking up at this very uh, buff 25-year-old, and the 25-year-old is saying, I must completely destroy you for being my adversary. Um, I think the conception for us is that that betrays weakness on our part, right? Like, an insecurity on our part. I think point uh, three will address that. Okay, so, but but let me just say this, that I don't think you have to be God's equal to be his adversary. And I don't think that it's, you know, that God cannot let it go, and, I, and I'll show you why. I think I'll address that point very soon, very shortly. Um, and so let me read the second part of part two. And therefore God's wrath is a judicial wrath. What does a judicial mean, a judicial wrath? We're sort of repeating concepts here already, but I just wanted to make things clear. <coughs> Judicial wrath. Kind of like justified? Justified, yes. It's also Very close. Selective to certain people. Certain people, yes. It's selective to certain people. It is justified. Laws. Laws, yes. So judicial has to do with justice, right? So God's wrath is a matter of justice. Um, and that's why it's good. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of these terms, um, but there's two kinds of justice. Yeah, I'm getting a little nerdy on you guys. 
but you guys can handle it. Okay. Restorative justice and retributive justice. Has anyone ever heard of these terms? Tim, tell me about them. <laughs> oh, I they kind of relatively self-explanatory, right? Restorative sure. justice is when someone is wronged, they need to be set back to their original state. Mm. So they're restored back to their state. Like if you had someone burned down your barn, mm -hmm. and they give you a barn, because that's part of the justice. They could take the cost of the barn out of the person who burned you the barn. Well, let me put it in, 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 in less uh, agrarian no. terms, okay? <laughs> um, if, uh, if someone... If someone does injustice to you, like if they steal money to you, yes, they should restore the money. But that's not the point of restorative justice. The relationship has been broken. And so they want to restore that relationship, or they want to restore you back into good standing in that society. And so the point of restorative justice is not punishing, it's to, rehab it's to re rehabilitation, right? It's to bring you back, right? Bring you back into um, where you were before. Retributive justice, what's that? Not Tim. Let's 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 pick on someone else. Let's retributive justice. Isn't that like when you're like seeking justice yourself, like you go up to it, or like almost like a vigilante or something? Yeah, I. I mean, you can seek res res restorative justice yourself too. So that's not what distinguishes it. Yeah. Eye for an eye. Yes, eye for an eye. What's what's another way of saying that? Make them pay. Make them pay. <laughs> and here, Hannah, you can use your word now. Oh, judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, punishment, right? Um, so retributive uh, justice is punishment, right? So there is no, in the, the, the concern is not to bring them back. It's not to restore them or to rehabilitate them. The point is punishment, right? You did something evil, you should suffer for that evil. So, you know, when I think back to the Guatemala case, uh, they go to prison, you know, uh, there's nothing they can do to, I mean, they, I guess we can do some element of restorative justice. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that restorative justice, retributive justice, these are both good concepts and aspects of, of justice today. But you have to understand that God's wrath here is retributive justice. It's to pay back, it's to punish, it's to make the, the person suffer. And a lot of people have problems with this. I remember uh, Christina, when she was in law school, she was telling me, they would discuss these concepts, and a lot of people had like visceral reaction to retributive justice. They don't like this idea of striking back. But this is the God that we have in the Bible, and we're trying to understand why that's a good thing. Jeff, did you have a question? So if someone, I was thinking, if, like the case is like death penalty, someone kills another person, that's 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 purely retributive justice. That penalty is not restorative. Huh? You cannot bring back the, the victim back to life. So, so in that case, yeah. Is that isn't that how the legal system works? The legal system has both elements, and there's big debates on which one we should lean on more. Any other questions? All right, let me press on. My goodness, I think I'm gonna spend the whole time on this. Okay, um, point number three, God, people choose God's wrath. And this goes to uh, John's point. I think this is very, very important. Um, I think we imagine that God's wrath is something that God sort of like, um, it's sort of like vindictive, 
or it's sort of like what 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 did I put here? Or spiteful, or or that God is sort of like doing it to to somebody, like he's chasing them down, right? Like he has this this stick, and like they're like you know they've done something to offend God, and so God is like chasing them around. He's like whacking them, right? And I want you to understand that that is an entirely flawed understanding of the reality, the real picture of the wrath of God in the Bible. And so let me, let me try to show this to you. And I think that the, the wrath of God here is entirely, I want to show you that the wrath of God is entirely fitting. Um, look, let me read both, both of these two verses on top because they, go, they fit together. John uh, 17, 3. And this is eternal life. Okay, this is very important, okay? Because Jesus here is defining what is eternal life, okay? Jesus is saying, this is eternal life. What do we imagine is eternal life? Is it like eating lollipops and going to Disneyland and like getting massages? And I mean, is it like some sort of material, pleasurable experience? This is the way Jesus defines it. This is very important to understanding the wrath of God, okay? He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How does Jesus define eternal life? How does, he, how does he define eternal bliss and happiness? He defines it as a relationship, right? And so eternal life is to know God, is to experience God. And all the things that we associate with heaven and happiness is relational. It's to be in his presence. It's to enjoy his, his presence. Um, and so let me put here. Yeah, so... Eternal life is defined in terms of God, okay? Now, let me read to you the next verse. John three nineteen, <clears throat> And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, right? So again, Jesus defines God as light or himself as light. Okay, very important. Um, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. All right? Now, What's going on is that we hate God. We do not want to be in His presence. We flee from Him, right? And so we're running away from God towards the darkness. Right? Because the darkness is pleasant to us. The darkness is what we want because we don't want to be where there is God. And in the darkness, that is the very definition of hell. Right? That is death. That this is sin. And this right here is obedience. And therefore, if we define this as wrath, okay, and this as God's embrace, okay, is God chasing people down, whacking them, making sure that they suffer His wrath? No. Wrath, wrath is what people choose for themselves. Because to escape God, to flee from God, is to experience darkness, death, punishment. Does that make sense? Um, there's a very fascinating passage. You know, I'm going to preach on this next week, but a little bit of preview. Genesis 3.8. I think this is so interesting. This is the aftermath of the garden, right? After, aftermath of uh, Adam and Eve partaking of the forbidden fruit. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I think that's so interesting, right? They're hiding. They don't want to be in God's presence. And so they're running. And what's really interesting about that passage is what happens at the end of Genesis 3? You guys know? They were kicked out of them. They're kicked out, right? They're expelled out of the garden. Now, which is it? It seems like, are they not opposed? Were they, were they running from God, or is God kicking them out? Both. Yeah. The answer is both. It's one continuous, God's swiftly kicking them out of the garden, and as he's kicking them out... They're running out. So it's all one motion. Does that make sense? So it's not like they're like, no, God, please let us stay. Right? We want to be with you. And God's like, no, get out, dirty varmint. Right? No. God is kicking them out. But as he's kicking them out, they're running out themselves. Does that make sense? And so it's like from God's perspective, it's wrath. From the human perspective, it's fleeing from God. It's hiding from God. Does that make sense? It's... And therefore, wrath is never, never um, something that's just like disproportionate or extreme. Wrath is, in the end, God giving people what they want. They want the wrath. Yeah. So you're saying that wrath is a, God's wrath is more passive, and whereas if we, when God embraces people, it's more active, so that's why... No, it's both, I would say... Um, both wrath and God's embrace are both active. But there's a passive aspect to God's wrath, which is that God is actively booting them out. Right? God is casting us out into the darkness. But we willingly and happily go. So there's a passive aspect to God's wrath, which is that God is letting us go. And then there's an, act, there's an active aspect of God's wrath, which is God is booting us out. But both of, both of them is just depends on how you look at it. Either way, people willingly and happily go. Um, so, a couple questions. Yeah. Um, so, God gives us free will, right? Yeah. And then he... Well, it depends, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, it depends on... Well, it depends on how you define it. I mean, if we define free will in terms of we get to do what we want, mm-hmm. we yeah. have free will. Do we get to do whatever is possible? That's impossible. Like, you can you cannot do what you don't want to do. So, so how does God feel about our free will, or like, not not feel, but what is like? How does He give us free will, but also at the same time, His wrath is directed towards us when we choose to oppose what He wants mm, us to. You're do. right, right, right. Okay, I I think I understand what you're saying. Do we have a choice in the matter? In you terms choice, of running like, towards the darkness, if right? God, if God uh, delivers wrath to us when we oppose <coughs> him, then it's not really he wants us to have free will. Because when you, when you have wrath, you kind of, you have a preference for them to go this sure. way. Then that's not really free will. Is it, is it the case that here we are, right? Here's, you know, we'll call him Joe. <laughs> I don't know why I must name him. But I must. <laughs> His name is Joe, and Joe is like, should I embrace eternal life or should I embrace hell? Hmm. He cannot do that. The only human being who ever did that was John, do you know? Adam. Yeah. 
So we'll cross it out and we'll name him Adam. <laughs> Adam actually had that real choice. God said, here's the tree. This is my tree. And in the tree, if you obey, eternal life. <coughs> God, light, presence, happiness. If you disobey, darkness, hell, death. And once Adam made the choice, he made the choice for all of us. Because he's our representative. And from that point on, this is what John 3 says, right? People loved darkness. So do we have a choice in the matter? We, ha we absolutely have a choice in the sense that no one is forcing us to do anything we don't want to do. Yeah, but if you're punishing someone if they choose not to do what you want them to do, then isn't that not really free will too? God is fine with people choosing to reject them. Then why the wrath? Because wrath is only fitting, right? Like... Okay, we're thinking about wrath in the active sense, right? Like God that's, is like, that's, burn, that's burn, 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 right? Yeah, but I think all of these imagery right here, like particularly, I think, the fire, I think we imagine God is kindling a fire, right? Like God is like, well, you rebelled against me. I'm going to tie you to the stake and pile on the bonfire wood and then light the match. But when, God, when, when people are running from God and God says, if you flee from me, you will experience fire. And people are like, I don't care because I hate you. So they run and God says, okay. But then he what, gives their boot too, though. Huh? But he boots, he them. boots them at the same, same time. But, but let's, I want to focus on the passive aspect first, right? When God lets them go, what, what they experience is fire. To be, to be far away from God. I mean, let me give a contemporary, let me give like a more low-key kind of normal example. When Christine and I fight, right? You know, Christina and I are mad, and I'm like, I hate you, slam the door, I stomp out, I don't want to be in your presence anymore. Do you know what I'm experiencing? <clears throat> I'm experiencing a miniature hell. I'm not happy. I'm pissed as hell at Christina, but nevertheless, I'm suffering, right? And so when Christina doesn't like tackle me and drag me back or something, if she lets me go, she's essentially pouring out wrath on me. She's essentially letting me experience fire, right? Even that illustration is insufficient because we're both mad at each other. Aha! You are experiencing fire in hell too. But, but God doesn't experience that. And so when, when we reject God, God is saying, you want to be away from me? It's hell. But here, take it. And at the same time, God is also wrathful because it's retributive justice. It has to do with, um, it has to be a right response to evil. So this is evil. Right? And so if it's evil, he must punish. So it's, at the same time, he's actively punishing evil, but at the same time, he's passively letting us go. And we want punishment. N nobody says who's going to hell, I want to be punished. But everyone says, I want to be away from God. And punishment is to be away from God. Or at least the goodness of God. Does that make sense? Any, any other follow-up questions or comments? No? Alright, let me, let, me, let, me let me read Romans 1. And then we will try to wrap it up. Um, I think Romans 1 is one of the most haunting passages in all of the Bible. This is God's wrath. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, 
because they ex exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonor. Listen to the logic of what Paul is saying. People exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped idols. They fled from God. And because of that, God says, is that what you really want? And then what does it say? I, I underline it. God gave them up. It's a very technical verb there to describe like letting people have what they want. He released. He no longer held us back. And he said, fine. Have what you want. And the worst punishment you can ever give someone is to let them have what they really want. I think that's the most haunting image because every single human being in this life, God is holding back. Nobody gets what they fully want, which is to flee from the presence of God forever and ever and ever. And in Judgment Day, for all eternity, God will at that moment say, I release you. I'll finally let you go. You can finally have what you want. And they will run from God forever. And that is hell. That's eternal torment. It's not like an artificial, God's like prodding them with a fire stick. God is letting them run. And that's, that's punishment. Is there any questions or comments? All right. Let me close with the gospel because you guys look <coughs> rightfully scared and depressed. We cannot understand the gospel unless we understand the wrath of God. Uh, because the gospel is Christ absorbing God's wrath for us. And the more we meditate on the wrath of God, the deeper we will experience God's salvation. Right? To meditate on the wrath of God is a good thing for us. Because then we know the, the depths of God's love. 1 John 4.10 in this is love. Not that we have loved God. It's not that we loved God. But that He loved us. And sent His Son to, to be a propitiation for our sins. Uh, this word is found uh, three times in the Bible. It's a big vocabulary word. Do you guys know what propitiation means? Anybody? Propitiation. Eric, what does propitiation mean? I'll put you on the spot. Uh, a substitute? Nope. <laughs> I would have been gentler, but I like you. Payment? Huh? Payment. Nope. I would be gentler. <coughs> propitiation. You know, like a transfer of. Nope. Propitiation. <laughs> it means to. Or propitiate means to absorb wrath. Um. <laughs> okay? That's what it specifically means. It means to absorb wrath. It means to take wrath. And so, the gospel is that Jesus on the cross was absorbing the wrath of God. He was taking it for us. And until we understand the wrath of God, we cannot fully understand what Jesus was doing on the cross. Why was Jesus dying? Why did he suffer? Why? He, what, what, remember what it said, right? There was darkness when Jesus died, right? There was darkness over the land. So he experienced the darkness. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced God's expulsion, kicking him out of his presence. He experienced death. He experienced hell. He experienced the punishment for sin. All of that Jesus experienced, he experienced the wrath, propitiation. Until we understand that, we cannot understand the love of God. People say, 
I, I, I believe in a God of love, but I don't believe in a God of wrath. And I always say to them, you believe in neither. Because they go together. Wrath and love always fit in together. Otherwise, if you have no wrath, then you really don't have love. Because if you love somebody and they're destroying their life, will you not feel anger? Or what, I mean, if, if think of someone you truly love. You're a, maybe a kid's brother, a kid's sister. And they're doing drugs. They're destroying their lives. And are you going to just be like, eh? No, you'll be like, what is wrong with you? Get your act, you know, get your life in shape. You'll grab them and drag them back and saying, stop it, stop it. And you'll be angry. To the extent that you love somebody, you'll be angry. If, if you have like a coworker who's doing drugs and destroying their life, and you don't really like them, you'll be like, <laughs> right? That's a form of hate. That is a form of hate. Indifference is hate. Anger is love, because you're only angry if you love someone. Chris, you look perturbed. <laughs> the, the indifference equals hate. I mean, sometimes you can just not really care about something, but does that mean you hate them or not care? Fine, you don't love them. You have no love. Maybe yeah, that's a better <laughs> I was being poetic. Let me be loose with words. But if, but if you're indifferent, if God is indifferent to us, then He doesn't love us. The very fact that He loves us necessitates His wrath. That's the point. Um, okay, any questions? Sorry, jealousy will have to be another time. <laughs> it's like a whole other sheet. All my preparations. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of wrath, that you hate evil, that you um, must pay back, must avenge for sin um, and rebellion. But thank you, Lord, that uh, in Jesus Christ, we have a stronghold, we have a fortress that we could hide on beneath and behind. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the wrath for us, that you are, you are the propitiation for our sins. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we meditate on your wrath being poured out on your Son for our sake, we would know that this is love. Not that we've loved you, but that you loved us. We pray this in Christ's name. All right, thank you.